I was just kind of writing about it a minute ago, so it's on my mind. But this Netflix special, I think it's fairly new. It's called Mission Joy with the Dalai Lama and oh, okay. uh, Desmond Tutu. Have you seen it at all? No, no. I, I haven't seen it come up on recommendations either, so. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I recently watched it in the last couple days. It is... Uh, so interesting to mm. hear these people that are you know i think they're both probably like 70s 80s or something like they're up there you know it's like right. spiritual leaders some of the things they say must be just difficult to to swallow i wonder like let me give you an example so Desmond Tutu from from South Africa and stuff like that, just immense amount of suffering. You know, I mean, the, this guy's life, I won't get into it too much, but he tells one story of Nelson Mandela, and he says, you know, people talk about those 27 years in prison and, oh, wow, like, what a, a waste. And he's like, no, no. No, that I let, let me let me read it because I think I have it uh, close by. Um, he says when Nelson Mandela went to jail, he was young, and you could almost say bloodthirsty. He was head of the armed wing of the African National Congress, his party. He spent twenty-seven years in jail, and many would say. Like I was just talking about, like, oh, what a waste. And I think people are surprised when I say no, the 27 years were necessary. They were necessary to remove the dross. I'll have to look that up. I don't know what that means. But the suffering in prison helped him to become more magnanimous and willing to listen to the other side, to discover that the people he regarded as his enemy they too were human beings who had fears and expectations. They had been molded by their society. And so without the 27 years, I don't think we would have seen the Nelson Mandela with the compassion, the magnanimity, the capacity to put himself in the shoes of the other. It's just some crazy, some crazy stuff. Um, and we talk a bit about that of of just suffering and darkness. We've talked about Dostoevsky, you know, maybe his like four years in Siberian prison camp, which is probably, I mean, like brutal stuff that we can't even imagine, like in modern society, like some of the, I mean, maybe in some parts of the world, I'm just not, I'm not aware of like this level of suffering, like how counterintuitive and 
paradoxically speaking, is uh, the fact that suffering, just immense darkness, can lead to compassion, love, forgiveness. I mean, that is some strange stuff, is it not? In filth it will be found. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh... Yeah, that was an idea from Nietzsche that um, if you stare in the darkness long enough, you see the light. I think it was Nietzsche. Well, well, Nietzsche certainly thought that if you stared in the darkness, the darkness also stares back into you. I don't know what the hell that means, man. Maybe we can talk about that because I've always, that's always confused me. And I, I suppose what it means is that if if you're if you're looking to learn about the darkness, it's also learning about you, and so it can sort of seep into your heart. Sometimes, often, sometimes, perhaps even without you knowing it, right? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's weird to me some of these things because you talk about an idea like that and it seems so kind of voodoo-ish, you know what I mean? It's like, like, what do you mean you're going to surround yourself with evil and then you see the light? But then you look at like the physical world, you only see the stars at night, right? And I know like sometimes that sounds crazy. It's a weird uh, metaphor. It's like, you know, you stare in the darkness long enough, you see the light. It's like you can't even see the stars without the darkness. So there's something to be said about that, I guess. But I don't know, man. This whole prison, I've been thinking a lot about prison lately because I had I had Santara on. That was a great episode. Yeah, thanks. She's. I wasn't prepared for that to be that heavy, man. Uh, I thought we were going to come on and I don't know if I was just being naive, I guess. I thought we were just going to talk about you know, re- rehabilitation and all this stuff. But like Santara, just she's such a wonderful person and really, really got like just kind of let herself go in terms of really engaging in that conversation. And it was it was a really beautiful thing. But um, but I've been thinking a lot about that as well, that prison prison aspect of it. Um, I don't know, man. You know what I, I what I've been thinking about with that that conversation you had? Not everybody, you know, it's like you have a, like you and I both have podcasts, like we have guests on and stuff, and you want to, in a way, get it at a, at a deep level, kind of some sort of the root cause of, you know, you want to get beyond the surface level of it. And it's interesting, like, listen, listening to that, you know, it went there, it got to these deep human issues and it's weird how we're in a way uncomfortable with that you know and not everybody that you you have coming on and um and maybe that's you know part of part of me is is maybe you know the host or something maybe it's not like a comfortable or type of Mm. space or you know maybe it's me in a way not comfortable going to some of these you know deeper issues like really like peeling it back or something yeah it's a special thing it has me thinking it's a special thing when when people really open up to you uh and and fully engage in that i mean that's honestly that's one of the for me personally it's one of the fruits of life it's like being able to have those kind of conversations with people. It's a really beautiful thing. And it's like, I remember there was a couple, 
there's a couple when I started having guests on and there was a moment where I saw, I was kind of, again, dumb and naive in how I was doing this, but I, I saw there was a click in them where they realized that, oh shit, like this is going to be leading into a deep conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and I, so now I, th I think I'm a little better at warming people up to that and making that more of a natural transition, uh, transition, but yeah, I certainly saw that. And then I would see some people that would be willing to engage in that and others that would kind of just be reluctant to for yeah. obvious reasons, because when you, when you kind of, when you, <clears throat> you have to let your guard down a little bit and then when you do that, you make yourself vulnerable. And, um, and yeah. I think sometimes we overthink as well. Like what, you know, when you have people listening, it's like you, yeah. sometimes you get a little nervous about that too. And, but I also wonder if it's something of um, just not really aware of it. You know how sometimes we talk about the darkness. Like we did a couple episodes on, you know, are we all, all potentially murderers and, you know, capable of that stuff uh, based on that show? What was the name of that show again? The Inside Man? Yeah, Inside Man. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. Where... But it does seem like, like in her situation, like maybe she hasn't been incarcerated, maybe, you know, maybe whatever it is, or like, you know, other people, you know how like the idea of wisdom where you can learn from other people. Yeah. So it's like, maybe you haven't experienced that, but to understand the nature of, yeah, maybe it, it could be, you know, you can put yourself in that shoes you can put yourself in that situation and uh maybe like law enforcement i'm sure like you know prison guards and things like that i mean you could look at it from a judgmental perspective on people that are making mistakes or you could you know put yourself in their shoes and and kind of experience a bit of that that darkness and maybe suffering i guess without and i don't want to overstate that but maybe it, it's just at least a little bit of a better understanding of what that might be like. And yeah, well, man. yeah, actually you got, you got me thinking something here too, is that, <clears throat> you know, you, um, as you see evil in the world, you begin to recognize the good around you that you didn't really see before. So, I mean, here, here's a, here's a great example. If, if you, um, if you grew up around, let's say, racist people, that's your norm. That's normal for you. You're, you're, yeah. For people to kind of be prejudiced. Um, but then if you go, I don't know, to a bigger city or something and you see the different races and everyone getting along and interracial couples and all this stuff, you obviously you'll see that through a different lens. But <clears throat> I don't know. It, it does seem to be the case that we we take so many things for granted and we think that everything is just I mean, our normal is our normal. So whatever you're born into, it's just normal for you. Like, you know, we I live in Canada. You live in the U.S. We go out to a grocery store. We're not expecting bombs to go off. We're not expecting even stealing to occur. We're not expecting, generally speaking, like racial slurs or anything like that. Like we have a pretty high standard. If you think about the capacity that people have for evil, we have a pretty high standard of 
just base goodness in our society. Uh, to, to the point, it's like if if you're going through a store and someone doesn't hold the door for you, you know, you're not going to be mad about it, but you'd think it's a little rude. Like, <laughs> <it's, Yeah. laughs> that's like crazy high standards, right? But, but again, that whatever we're accustomed to, that's the norm. So if you're, it, if you get exposed to something that's really evil, it kind of makes you rethink a little bit like, oh shit, like recalibrate all the good that you've been accustomed to that you didn't really see before. Yeah. I swear I tend to think more, more so as I, you know, just get into stuff and, you know, search for wisdom as, or I don't even know what to call any, anything really, but, that idea of how we see things, you know, it's like our views and beliefs, man, just so, so important. Mm. And I could be wrong, but it, it seems like to me is that it's just not necessarily like focused on, like you could pick up many traditional self-help type of books, leadership books, like whatever it may be. And they may not get into this idea of like, how do you view human nature? Like, how do you, you know, so many of these things, which is essentially it's like a view in the belief, like the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, when they're talking about suffering, like that's their view and belief, which then shapes how they think about it how they enter it, you know it's like that thing of um i don't know it's an interesting thing but if you watch some of these people that i think are you know far down the path with philosophy spiritual traditions like whatever it is or read the meditations it's like it's kind of all about their views and beliefs it's like they're shaping their their lens, you know, they're like cultivating how they particularly see an issue. And maybe everybody does it in, but maybe these two just have greater clarity on it. So they're able yeah. to speak about it. So maybe everybody does. Um, I don't know. I don't know though. It's, you know, <clears throat> he's talk about suffering and learning some of the stuff through suffering. Right. It's like, does everybody do that? You know, <laughs> is everybody a Dostoevsky? Is everyone a, a, you know, Dalai Lama where, yeah, I don't know, you go through something rough because you can certainly, there's certainly people, people that let that experience embitter them as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, God, can you imagine going through, like we, we take, take it back to our modern expectations of things. Like there's even the younger generation now, there's an expectation of you can't say anything that offends me. And uh, like, can you imagine the shock if you if you just pluck that person out of where they are in history and just plop them in the gulag, you know, like <laughs> where it's like, you know, heinous working conditions and being whipped and no food. It's like completely, completely yeah. different situation, you know. But you could also pluck some of these people and I think and plop them into different parts of the world today oh yeah and it would be similar things like even 
like even in America, the thing is America is so different. It's basically like 50 different countries yeah, that all have their own little, their own little rules and their own little state regulations. And it's like, you cross a border here and it's different. And like some have state taxes at this rate. Some don't have state tax. I mean, it it's just, and I mean, it was designed that way where it's a weird thing where it's, it's essentially 50 different countries. And it was supposed to be this experimental, like this particular place, you know, finds the best way to, to do things. And then maybe somebody learns from that and another state adopts it. And yeah, but it, it is even a weird thing of uh, like from a language thing, it's like America, you know, or any sort of country. And it's like, and I'm sure the same thing in Canada, I'm sure like many different parts of the country, you know, the mm. big city kind of up towards, you know, some of these smaller, smaller towns and villages. I'm sure it's very different. So weird. Yeah, definitely really different <clears throat> things. Things change as you go across, but I, I've always been really um, interested in that, how people that are so different can actually live together in peace. I don't know why I've always been, yeah. I've always been struck by that. Even, even as a, as a kid, I'd, I'd go, even just simple things like simple exchanges between people where there's kindness there. Uh, I don't know, man, maybe I've always been a little bit in touch with the darkness. So I, I recognize some of the better stuff of humanity, but, um, but yeah, like it's just, it's, it's amazing to me that people can just get along. Like, yeah, you know, you go through, again, you go through a grocery store and you hold the door for the person behind you. Like, what the hell is that? What's compelling you to do that? Where you're yeah. you're not getting anything out of it. You're losing time to do that. But we do it. A lot of people do that. They'll hold the door for the person for like two seconds. Probably 90%. I mean, it's probably some sort of just crazy high number Isn't of that people wild? that do that. And it's it's not written no. anywhere. Like it's not a written thing. It's just a, a ritual. It's just yeah. a practice that has... Um, um yeah what a what a crazy thing and sometimes it's not even helpful <laughs> like you know like sometimes someone will hold a door for you and you're thinking in your head you're not saving me any energy man because like that's a heavy door or something and i gotta hold it open or you know what i mean like sometimes the things that we do for each other that are kind of nice and appreciated they're not even helpful it's just <laughs> you just do it for the sentiment of it <clears throat> Everything is a, a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. If you ever get around to to watching it, which I'm going to keep bringing it up until yeah. you do. What but is it on Netflix? Of, no, it's HBO. <clears throat> but there's one where there's an episode of where he's holding the door, but it's a bit of a distance. And he's yes. basically discerning like, ah, should he hold it? And then he decides not to. So the door <laughs> closes and he ends up being in the elevator with the person. Uh, it's it's funny. There's a bit more to it, but um, to to transition, so we have time to to get on it. There's there's something I I gotta I gotta ask you about. I think it's important, and you can educate educate me a bit. So it's like your episode this week. Maybe it was. Um, grace or yeah Santa, yeah Stoic no grace. it was the grace was it yeah. uh did you release the part two today two, uh no tuesday 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So there's something that you say in in that particular episode, which I've heard you say before, of like supernatural, and I think we've talked about it before, yeah. maybe, and like supernatural God or something like that. Like, what does that even <laughs> mean? Like, I don't even understand it. And also, um, like my thoughts, and I, I've I've been doing this reading in the Good Life, you know, where we meet up every every Fridays with this group. Yeah, how's that been going, man? Oh, great! Yeah, great. Really enjoy it. Uh, but we're doing meditations, nice. you know. Um, but I, I want to read a a passage from meditations. Um, but first, like supernatural, like mm. what in the world? Yeah. Are you talking about? And I think I'm revisiting something that I, uh, but you you triggered me with it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think we talked about it in depth, but yeah, uh, I guess have we? I guess supernatural <clears throat> would be out of this world. You, you know, that's that's the thing. It's crazy sometimes because a lot of the Stoic principles you can talk about it. And sometimes I'll even be listening, doing the editing or something. And I'm like, I sound kind of crazy. Like I sound like a re- religious fanatic sometimes, right? <laughs> but like everything that I know about Stoicism, there, it makes sense. Like there's a couple religious things in there that maybe has a, has a supernatural element, like the idea of providence. Maybe there's a hint of it in there, but everything's very in this world. It's of this world. It's like even the soul, it's a physical soul. It's like a, it's like a character. That's what it is. There's no like touch. There's no divine element that goes up to something like heaven. Um, So I guess the simple answer is like the supernatural elements in religion are the ones that are not of this world. It's like God, the Christian God, the Abrahamic God, he's not of this world. He's, he's somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about things like the chances that we're in a simulation right now, what would you call the person that made the simulation? He'd probably be supernatural, right? Cause he's not of this world. So I suppose yeah. you could even argue that maybe there's a, there's a possibility that supernatural is entirely scientific if you believe the simulation theory. Yeah. The, um, when I read the Stoics, it sometimes it depends on the translation, but I have many different translations of of stuff you know i read probably most of of seneca like every sunday i do a seneca thing i mean to me these stoics like are talking the same way as some sort of mystic some sort of saint some sort of ultra i mean these dudes are some ultra religious I don't even know what to, what to, where it's um, like they're so religious that sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. And yeah. I consider myself a Christian, you know. Right. Um, but let me let me read this. Give me a minute to. Um, I think what you're talking about there is to put words in your mouth. Drinking yeah. the Kool Aid. They sound like they're drinking the Kool Aid a little bit. Well, I don't. Um, I don't know. They just sound like some real religious dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they really believe it. Like, I've I've heard modern people talk like this, too. Oh. Where it's like... Yeah, like they're devout. These are some devout... uh, So let me read this. um, 
Oh, yeah. So Meditations 2.11. He says, you could leave life right now. Let that determine what you do, say, and think. We've all seen that one many times. Very popular. Then it stops right there um, when you see it on social media and all sorts of stuff. But then it continues. If the gods exist, then to abandon human beings is not frightening. The gods would never subject you to harm. And if they don't exist or don't care what happens to us, what would be the point of living in a world without gods or providence? But they do exist. They do care what happens to us. And every, everything a person needs to avoid real harm, they have placed within him. If there were anything harmful on the other side of death, they would have made sure that the ability to avoid it was within you. If it doesn't harm your character, how can it harm your life? So it's like that middle part to me, but they do exist. They do care what happens to you. Like, that's some firm, I mean, there is some, you know, I mean, and and that's the thing of this whole sometimes like stoic God and, and this and that. And I've, I've heard you and Kai get into that. And I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm just not like that interested in like God type of, yeah of stuff. It's, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't spark my interest in, in some ways, but like some of these, I mean, these people were talking about like Zeus, God. I mean, they're, I mean, they're kind of talking about like this. It sounds very much like a Christian thing of like, there is like a, a person that cares what happens and almost, almost has some sort of vested interest in, you know, influences, um, which is different from like Spinoza, who is put in the category of like the pantheists. Yeah pantheism where i mean he says like dude god's not intervening yes there's like a god but it like he or she or it is not you know intervening and and coming to to save you or anything like that like marcus Aurelius is talking something very like he's he's going a bit beyond that um so it's like yeah that sounds like if you were going to put something under the category of supernatural or whatever it may be like to me and Seneca, the same thing, like to me, like a lot of this, the dude, they're in the same camp. It may be a different type of God, but they're in some sort of umbrella of believing in some supernatural stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Just, I'm mean, just because yeah, some yeah. of it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Necessarily. That was something actually that I wanted to talk to Kai about at some point, but I, I never got to it in that God episode we did because it was, I mean, obviously Marcus Aurelius was Roman. So yeah, he was kind of brought up with the Roman gods too, right? Um, I guess along with the Greeks, like there's always been some kind of dominant religion of the time that sort of makes up the foundation of belief in the society. And for us, it's Judeo-Christian. So, you know, we have like the Abrahamic God. So I guess it's, I guess in many ways, all the Stoics or, well, Marcus Aurelius and probably Seneca for sure were, uh, you know, kind of like the modern Christian that's Stoic, you know, and that's the wonderful thing about 
Stoicism is that there's no deity directly in Stoicism, but that doesn't mean you can't be a Stoic and believe in. Like yeah. I know, I know some some Stoics that they're definitely Stoics, like they you know self self described, but they're also Muslim, so it's yeah. it's compatible with uh, with many walks of life. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you if you listen to anyone, I think that's really that has a strong belief in whatever it is they're talking about they kind of sound like half crazy like they sound well, fanatic like a fanatic well, and that is my kind of exact point though sometimes of um like what can we know for sure like we've talked about like virtue is the only good it's like you know all of these type of things I mean, they're just beliefs, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like everybody gets to choose their particular thing. Um, They're just beliefs. Now, I mean, some of these are, don't have, you know, anything to do with some sort of divine or, or God, but essentially like, we don't know. I mean, there is just, everybody gets to kind of look at it and, you know, reflect on their life and choose and discern and all of that. So we, I mean, we know certain sort of things, but like sometimes it sounds like Christianity and and maybe I'm a bit of a, at times I'm a bit of a defender of, uh, of Christianity. Um, I don't necessarily like want to be or necessarily like in this particular category or this particular example, but it's um like supernatural, like Christianity. It's like these guys are into some supernatural stuff where it's like everybody's kind of into some supernatural stuff in a, in a way. And I mean, and just like, especially the Stoics. I mean, you read this stuff, these are some supernatural, like religious zealots and stuff. Like I say, I mean, reading some of this stuff, it's like it's uncomfortable for me. They're so uh, they're so like. Right. Uh, so I guess like my point is like this over here, supernatural. The Stoics definitely some supernatural, but is um like in the way of a question. I don't know. I tend to think like this idea of when we're operating on faith, like when we're just have like a view and belief. I don't know. It seems to be important to know when we're into some supernatural stuff. Yeah. I keep saying supernatural, but it's like when we're operating off of faith, which is like way more often than we realize. Yeah. Well, and, and, Yeah, absolutely. There's, I would agree that there's a supernatural element to pretty much any philosophy as a way of life. Like, I think there kind of has to be. I don't think that, you know, faith doesn't imply that there's no evidence or there's no logic supporting a certain direction. And we, maybe we can talk about, this is something I've wanted to do an episode on for a while, but I haven't really understood it properly. But there is a naturalistic argument for why Stoicism is actually a, a very great philosophy as a way of life. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to mention, because this this was interesting for me, is I often say the cosmos. And, you know, when I, when I say that, I, I, 
I just mean like the cosmos, like from a scientific way. You know, if you think about the the universe and how everything, like the, there's a there was something happened a while ago, a long time ago. Some big bang happened, as far as we know, and then all this shit started happening, and we yeah. really have no idea like what's going <laughs> yeah. on. Like we have yeah. no idea what what why we're here, how we're here, but regardless of that, something happened. And everything that's included in that happening, that is the cosmos. To me, it's not, there's nothing outside of this world. There's nothing supernatural about that. But I had this YouTube YouTube comment a little while ago, and they said, whenever I hear someone say cosmos, I just tune out because it's too religious for me. And I, I said, well, the cosmos is something that actually exists. Like, this is a scientific term, <laughs> but I can see how it would come off as sort of supernatural. But it made me realize that... You know, for me, when I'm explaining something, and if someone looks at me and says, you're being a bit religious or supernatural in your thoughts, I don't, I don't agree a lot of times. I would, I would say, no, no, you're not, you're not making the connections that I'm making in my head. And then I thought about that for a while, because what if someone that believes in, let's say someone that's a devout Christian, that believes in the heaven and the hell and and the, and the deity, the God, like maybe they're making these connections that I'm just not making. And then how would you know yeah. who's, who's right and wrong? Like it just, it really put this humility in me that to me, the cosmos, that's not a crazy term. That's a way they use that in science to this person yeah. on YouTube. He's like, you're a religious zealot. Yeah. It is weird how there are these, uh, terms words and things that uh sometimes excite us sometimes like have us tune out like this person that is a a fascinating thing of where you know it's good for that person to at least share that you know in terms of uh you know they were aware of it but something that's fascinating to me you did an episode one time and i think we were um talking at some point in time about uncertainty yeah. you use like the example of um or we were talking like you know being in an ocean you know you're in the ocean you don't know what is underneath you like it's dark or you just can't can't see and we know that in that situation like we feel that but that same thing is true of like you even hear like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, who just wrote the book and talks about, you know, these satellites that we have and all sorts of like new and exciting stuff. And I mean, there's just still like lots of stuff. We just don't know. We like just really don't know. Most, most yeah. of the things there are to know, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there are so many things where we just don't know. And um, like the Stoics, many of these sort of exercises or sort of these things, they're kind of resting on their views and beliefs about how they're making sense of things. Where if you take that away, it's... I understand the the thing of the from a traditional stoicism or some of these th- yeah. like I get that where you can kind of take a, you don't understand some of their views and beliefs of of how they're 
like coming coming to that um but the not knowing stuff in like when we're operating out of faith and everything god it seems to be so important but it's like uncomfortable i try to like as you know i got young kids like my daughter's 10 <laughs> and uh i sometimes will try to talk about like subjective and objective like if you know, she's sharing something or some sort of like difficulty. It seems to be important to understand whether that is like an objective thing or is this just your like subjective perception to be able to identify. And it's really difficult um, to, to do that. Like, especially like in my limited experience of, of, you know, conversations with young people and stuff like that. But even just identifying because it feels like this is it. It feels like in our experience of we know this is objective, like our sub, our subjective experience feels objective. And I think Kierkegaard has a famous quote, something exactly like that, but mm -hmm. um, oh God, that seems to be really important. That's been coming into the view uh, or, a lot of people have been adopting that perspective. I hear that from young people that um, it's like there's no objective truth or subjective truth. Oh, like my truth? My truth. Yes, this my truth thing. And, and I've even had people say, you know, if you if you, you, you could give them statistics or something and they'll say, well, I believe my subjective experience more than your objective facts. Maybe they wouldn't say objective facts, but <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what I say on yeah. recollection. But... But yeah, and it's hard because there is a subjective reality. It's just, um, it has to be aligned with the objective world, and it's not always, and you can change your subjective experience. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to, it would be hard to tell someone, let's say that's offended by something. It's like, no, that's not real. Because like how how could you explain that to someone? It's like, no, I am feeling offended. You don't get the right to tell me that that's not real. And so the answer is not that it's not real. It's that your your perspective on this is not a a helpful one. Maybe that's a better way of thinking about it. Because you can you can take something and view it as offensive and be upset about it. The question is like, is that good for you? And and do you need to be? It's like Marcus Aurelius. One of my favorite things he says, you. You don't have to be upset about this. Yeah. And it's like, that's so powerful. It's just, just so simple, right? It's like, you're pissed off about something. You look yourself in the mirror. Well, I don't have to be upset about this. There's no objective law in the universe that's deeming me to be upset about this. I can actually change my subjective perspective on this in a way that I feel subjectively different and I, I can change my subjective truth in a sense. And I, I guess that's really what stoicism is all about is changing your subjective truth. But, yeah. but, um, let me, yeah, let me get, let me get paradoxical <clears throat> and, um, and push back, like just to, to push back a, a little bit of, um, like we were talking about like opening the door. Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, somebody like the curb your enthusiasm, like lets the door just like, slam like almost like right in your face like time timing wise <laughs> you know you're like hey what's what's up uh you couldn't hold the you couldn't hold the door for another second 
Now, that like kind of influences the like. There's a reason that that particularly ritual like exists in terms of um, you know somebody doing something that is like offensive. And I mean, of course, then there's like there's obviously some sort of golden mean, like it can get to some sort of extreme. But from the idea of um, nothing is like all bad, like this person getting offended and speaking up like, hey, you know, let's hold the door around here, leads that person to maybe be more mindful and do that moving forward or whatever it may be, or hold the elevator door, or, you know, et cetera, any of these unwritten you know, ritual practices that help us to live in harmony. That's so strange that it's like, and then it can get to some sort of extreme of where it's now bad and unhelpful to society. Yeah. You know, and that, um, it's like a strange thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's nothing, I mean, that would be social justice, right? This, this idea of like, let's, uh, let's be kind to each other. But it's weird. This, this is another, again, to, to mention your paradox, this is another weird thing about stoicism is it's like if someone says something offensive to you, you are not, let's say, obliged to be offended by it. You can choose not to be offended by it. Yeah. But you should also fight against people saying offensive things. Yeah. So like it's, it's a weird uh, disconnect. And this is where I think often the Stoics get viewed as unrealistic or impractical because, and I, and I kind of agree with this notion. It's like emotions can be hugely motivational. I mean, they are the motivation behind every action is, is some emotion. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's like, you're not allowed to get angry about that, but you should act in a way as if you were angry about that. (laughs) <laughs> right say that one more time <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're not allowed to be angry about that but you have to act in a way in which an angry person would act in such a situation that's like the virtuous anger thing like uh and i actually had it out with donald robertson on this because i said well is virtuous anger a thing the stoics say well you could actually not be angry but do the very same things that a virtuous angry person would do right like you can fight for justice in the same way without actually being angry. And then my, my refutal is, or my rebuttal is, well, how realistic is that? I mean, look at people like Solzhenitsyn, like, risked his life <laughs> and his, his, like everything, his whole existence on having the courage to do something like he did, speak the truth and all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if you can really say that that's realistic for most people. Do you, th- like, do you think that's realistic? that to expect people to act in a way that a virtuous angry person would act, but not be angry, not feel angry at all. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Um, Desmond Tutu and, uh, and the Dalai Lama, they had a bit of a, a disagreement or a different perspective on this very topic of emotions. You know, it's like uh, the Dalai Lama sounded very much like a stoic of, you know, basically saying how how bad that these uh, negative emotions are, anger, all of this type of stuff. And, and then Desmond Tutu said, basically, well, 
oftentimes these are out of our control. Like you're going to experience that. And then it, it, it went back and forth. And then the Dalai Lama kind of repeated it in this. And I, I kind of fall on the, on the side of like, you're talking about, it's like, you know, this elephant and the rider, like a lot of times maybe the uh, emotion is going to be strong. Like it's more powerful than, than reason. You know I mean? We all know that to be true. If we sit and experience it, that the, you know, the passion is, is, it's just stronger. It's more powerful but that, but then the choice and I, I completely think the Stoics get it right. Like sometimes the people that are critical on the Stoics, though, like they haven't read at least Seneca on anger, getting specific on that. Because it's like, yeah. then they're talking about time and, and space. And it's like, yes, you're going, it may be outside of your control that you're going to experience that. But then it's learning to work and not make it worse because yeah. our, you know, all of that stuff. But, um, but I don't know. I haven't been a meditator that's meditated for three or four decades. Like maybe in the Dalai Lama's perspective and view and belief is that, no, this is completely within your control. You, you know, with enough practice, you can get to the point of where you don't necessarily really ex experience to the same level or frequency. I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I don't, it's hard I don't... to say when. You know, it's like, yeah, <clears throat> the whole meditation thing. I know it's not exactly what you asked, but this is something I wanted to talk to you about for a while. The meditation thing. You talked about people like meditating for 40 years and coming to some truth. I don't, I don't know if I buy that, man. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not a meditator, so I'm going to be very upfront about that. Though I did find out that through Andrew Huberman, the neuroscientist, that I actually do a form of meditation that I've, I've just never really knew about but apparently apparently if you just sit and let thoughts come to you like ponder and contemplate apparently yeah. that is actually a form of meditation if you do it right and I, I do a lot of that so I, I guess maybe I do I do meditate but but yeah. I don't know I just like you know the person that kind of sits in the office and thinks about the perfect way of doing things and then they come down into the field and it's just they have no freaking idea what they're talking about because they, they just like they're up there and they're thinking and they're using their head and they're using their logic and reason. And, but then you actually go down and you see it and you're there and you're doing it and you're like, actually this doesn't work quite the way I thought it would. It's like the world is so complex that I hesitate to say that you can really learn anything at all, except through direct experience. Yeah. Right. And you process things through, through th contemplation. So like, you know, you and I, let's say you and I have a fight or something. I'll go away and I'll think about that and I'll contemplate and I'll draw the lesson out from it. I'll process the lessons from that action, but, and that experience. But I, I don't think that you can just sit down without any exposure to the world and really come up with anything that's practical, maybe wise, but maybe yeah. not practical. What do you think? Yeah. I'm, very much like huge fan of uh, the need for some sort of stillness practice, some sort of practice. And I think there's like a gazillion forms of, of these, you know, and it's about 
finding the one that like fits for you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, like one of the research studies, like it's pretty interesting. I think they talked about it in this docu documentary. Um, but so they'll, they'll hook these up and they'll, they'll get these people in one of those brain scan machines and they'll um, get them set up to re receive some sort of discomfort, you know, some sort of painful type of like shock or hot water or whatever it may be. And they do these control groups, like same age, non-meditator, meditator, all of this. And they give them a little noise of when they're going to get this painful thing. And then there's like 10 seconds that goes by before it actually happens. And in the, the non-meditators, as soon as they get the noise, as soon as they know that this thing is going to come, this little bit of discomfort is going to come 10 seconds from now, instantly, they're, they're already getting all of the brain activity. They're going to, they're feeling that. And obviously, on the other side of that, um, the, the long time meditators, and these are like long, long time people, they're not getting any of that until it actually comes. And then once it's over, like their brain settles down, if you will, the non meditator, it continues. And to me, that's like exactly in my experience, like in daily life, we talk about like little slights, like say the person doesn't hold the door open for you or, you know, just anything, you know, how these things like continue the one little slight that somebody does to you. And it, it just continues like for a couple of days and they're still disgruntled about it. Um, you know, it's so much like this, uh, the Buddhist parable of like that second arrow, like that little bit of pain, that first arrow, like that's unavoidable. But the second arrow, which we often do, and I mean, I see this in myself and especially like, you know, society of this second arrow, this additional mental suffering that takes place because we don't have control over our minds, mm -hmm. you know, to get dark, though, um, you know, we talked about and it came up in your conversation with Santera is like, given the right circumstances, any of us could in a five minute period do something that could you know get ourselves incarcerated for a very long time like we're all yeah capable of evil i think it's important to at least acknowledge that that's the possibility now that five minutes just like seneca's talking about and i think seneca is some of this stuff is connected with meditation like on the waking up app there's um William Irvine has like stoic meditations on this, you know, primarily Buddhist type of thing. Like they're doing some of this training of the mind. Like you get angry, you're irritated and you have this thought of, man, I want to get revenge. I want to, I want to kill this guy. You know, it's like, how dare, I mean, just like, like we were saying, it's way stronger, this big elephant of passion and emotions and it's like the stillness practice, the meditation, where it's how do like how do you discern? You've got to be able to like create a bit of distance from these thoughts and not necessarily put every thought into into action. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's at there nothing um, 
like more important. But again, there's many ways to do that. This, you know, the centering prayer that Brian Russell is talking about, right? It's the exact thing of, you know, thoughts are basically, I've heard it described as like, you know, their boats coming down a river and the practice is, is to not get on the boat, to not go get in the story of whatever that thought is, you know, and that's what you're practicing of letting a particular thought like arise and go by, arise and go by over and over, like no different, like a bench press. You go in there over and over, you're doing multiple sets, multiple reps, you know, the, this yeah. practice of all of this. And it's the same thing. And like in that centering prayer, they have a, um, like a word when you catch yourself getting on one of those boats, you know, following a particular thought and story, there's a prayer word where it's like peace, you know, it's like, bring yourself back or, you, you know, you bring yourself back to the breath. Um, but when I read, like I'm sitting reading, I'm, I'm not calling reading a meditation practice, but uh, maybe a practice in attention, you know, you can read and I can read a page and then I'll drift and I'll be like, oh, what yeah. am I going to cook for dinner? What are we doing? You know, and it's like, oh, you catch yourself and then you, you bring yourself back to the to the page, right. you know, so any sort of I mean, there's lots of these type of things. And um, but mm. even just the the idea of I'm sorry for rambling on for so long here, but even the idea of like uh, Pascal talking about there is resistance to that just sitting in some sort of meditation. So like, sometimes I wonder, you know, if it's like, ah, like I question the, whatever it may be of, of this, you know, is, is that question or is that resistance? Is that, mm. you know, what Pascal is talking about? Is that, cause that's essentially a thought that just came in. It's like, ah, I quit, you know, it's like, and I mean, sometimes that's good. You know, I mean, we do have good thoughts, like some skepticism that comes in about whatever it may be, but it could be a resistance thing. Cause I mean, I, I get that of like, well, like, I mean, any, you do anything like schedule anything that you don't kind of want to do, you know, you get a bit of resistance, you get some other thoughts, you get, you know, we all got like a committee of people inside mm -hmm. of us, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's for sure. And <clears throat> I guess the reason why meditation is so hard is because doing nothing is, was one of the hardest things to do. Interestingly yeah. enough, like just, um, silence is almost impossible. Yeah. And very telling, you know, um, yeah, I don't know, but you can certainly get better at that, that processing that stuff. And then, you know, talking about processing stuff and then getting over it, but you get that initial, I don't know, upsetness about it. You get this initial emotional response and I'm even surprised sometimes that I'm not getting upset about things. Yeah. I've noticed that. Um, I've noticed that lately that sometimes something will up, something will upset me momentarily and then it's gone. And, yeah. and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking about that just as much as I'm thinking about the times when I'm holding a grudge. I'm yeah. like, like, why the hell isn't that bothering me? And then I'm thinking, well, isn't it a good thing that it doesn't bother me? It's like, well, it should be. I'm not being bothered by it, but then should I be bothered? Here, like, I don't know. I don't know if I told you this. I struck a deer uh, before Christmas. 
Oh wow! With 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 my car, and there are lots of them up there. Yeah, we got lots of them, and I was going down the <clears throat> going the swirling roads and stuff, and I ended up hitting a deer with my car, not crazy hard, but it put it like smashed my headlight out and put a big dent yeah. in the hood, and it's like immediately I I almost kept driving, man. Like it was like boom, I hit him and he ran off, and I I swerved a little bit, but I corrected, and then I was just like driving. And, like, I had a little bit of adrenaline. I could feel that. But I almost kept driving. I was like, oh, I didn't hit him that hard. I'm sure I didn't do any damage. Got out, had a look. I was like, oh, shit, I actually did do some damage. Um, But it just, it was so weird because I, I wasn't I wasn't that bothered by it. Like, I was a little upset about it. But I wasn't that bothered by it. And, uh, God, I mean, I just feel like I would have been so much, you know, even like a year ago or two years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I guess you just, you practice this stuff enough. I guess it kind of just happens naturally to the point where it surprises you when, <laughs> when you're not yeah. like pissed off for it for like two weeks. I I feel the same way in a certain extent, <clears throat> but sometimes I, sometimes I question it and wonder, um, the, the Jack Cornfield guy who I like, he's a long time, like, meditation teacher and stuff like that um and i mean he's like his podcast episodes he's been doing some recently he just goes deep i mean it's just like in the deep end like we were talking about he's just comfortable just talking about like the deep dark things of of being human like even himself but he 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 was a, a monk in thailand went to like Ivy league school and like got this education and then just felt that he had half of an education ends up becoming a, a monk in, in Thailand, just hard, like mm. rig. I mean, just meditating like 20 hours a day type of stuff, like just rough conditions, especially for like a, you know, wealthy Westerner and stuff like that. Um, But he says how he felt like, very at peace was always like the you know peaceful guy like helping people to to get along and stuff like that didn't um necessarily describe him or think about himself in the way of having a bunch of like anger and negative emotions and stuff but like doing this meditation and stuff and you know going down this path he was very surprised to find all of this mm. darkness in him and even like Brian Russell talks about that with centering prayer and stuff of really like feeling uncomfortable because this thing of sitting, getting all of these dark sort of thoughts, it's like a place, um, a part yeah. of yourself that maybe you're not uh, aware of. Um, but it's a, uh, it's interesting. And like his meditation teacher and stuff at the time, basically like tells, he's like, Oh, great. You know, good. Go sit with it. You know, yeah. go go close the windows. Go like wrap yourself up in all of these robes and you know, yeah. really experience it. Um, which is a bit different of sometimes, you know, we've talked about uh like trauma of things like the you're not like aware of or something, which sometimes like I'm a bit skeptical of maybe or something, and maybe that's like mm. my own resistance, but um like I don't know, like he is uh the way he's talking about it or 
to me, like any of these longtime meditators, like the way they're talking about it, like they're talking about it from an agency thing and from like a curiosity, you know, they're yeah. not talking about it from the, the victim. And they're also talking about it from the thing, you know, like he brings up many times, like the things that he did and didn't do, you know, it's also about him. It's this thing of uh, understanding yourself. So I don't know, maybe there are, maybe there are some things that we just don't quite, uh, know about ourselves Mm. um without the time you know i I don't know yeah and it takes a lot i mean you i think you got to do hard things and you have to really be good at self-observing to notice some of that you know um like i've been ice bathing lately and um that's interesting too because when you start doing that like you're freaking out right you get in your adrenaline goes (laughs) up and you can't breathe and like you're just trying to you're just trying to breathe that's really what you're trying to do and um i still do that sometimes but now it's like i get in and it's still just as physically painful but it's just like you sit in it like you said you sit in that and you're like oh no it's just like i've been here before it's it's just a bit of physical pain it's so it's gonna be okay right and you kind of breathe through it and it's no less uncomfortable physically but there is like this mental alleviation like you're not bothered by it as much and so i i guess that's what you kind of got to do with the darkness that you have with you as well is like when you say when you see it you kind of got to sit in it and and this is where i think particularly social really social people struggle because they can't do that they can't sit with themselves whenever they get uncomfortable they they go and see other people and they kind of fill up fill their cup up um but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, <clears throat> maybe, I know you don't like the labels, but maybe introverts are better at sitting in the darkness a little bit more than, than extroverts are. Yeah. Um, but, but I wonder, like, <clears throat> the responsibility piece <clears throat> of, um, maybe that's not the right word, um, but sitting in it in a way of, um, I don't know, like feeling something to the fullest, you know, like, like this person who had been down the path, like much farther than cornfield, you know, he's like, good, go sit in it, like go lock yourself in. Now that could be, um, like different for each like particular person. Like you could be an introverted person and then go kind of seclude yourself and, not necessarily like experience it, maybe feel it to the fullest. You could um, maybe feel it in the way of uh, like experience it in the way of uh, I want to say almost like a victim mindset, but that sounds Mm -hmm. a bit, uh, it sounds a bit harsh and maybe like judgmental to say, but from a way of, like when that person was telling Cornfield to go do this, it was like for a purpose to like yeah. allow that suffering to to come out on the other end of it, you know, maybe to like bring back the Mandela thing. You know, it was like to come out on the end of it, you know, how can that like Thich Nhat Han talks about like the art of suffering is like, you know, it's a suffering well, allowing it to transform you in some sort of way. Um, 
And it seems like those are two different things and difficult things and, and yeah. stuff like that from a way that either introvert or extrovert, mm-hmm. it could be challenging for, mm-hmm. for, for any, for both, you know? Well, I'll, I'll give you some dark thoughts. <clears throat> I've yeah. always ha- I've always done this when I was sick, <clears throat> just naturally. But when I'm sick and I'm having like one of the bad days, I'm just getting over cold, by the way. I know you know that, but just for the listeners. But so I'm just getting over a cold. And so this is kind of fresh in my mind. But when I'm having like one of those days where you're lying around in bed and like you're not you're not feeling great at all. My mind always goes to, oh, this this is what my death is going to be like. Mm. And it's like, yeah. and and I know how like crazy that sounds, but I don't, it, it doesn't even really make me uncomfortable. Maybe it's because I've done it for so long, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm in so much pain and all I want to do is sleep. And I'm just thinking, you know, when you're sick, there's always like, okay, three more days and I should be better. Four more days, two more days. But like when you're dying, there, you don't have that thought to comfort you. It's, it's like, no, no, no. I'm going to be in pain. And then I'm going to die and that's it. Right. And, yeah. and so I, I kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm like using that as training or, but it, it's just something that always occurred to me, just sitting in that darkness and just being like, this is, this is kind of what dying is like, like your body just yeah. fails. And, and when you're really sick, even with like a common cold, it's just as bad. Like yeah. if, if, if you're barely conscious <laughs> and all you want to do is sleep and you can't even get yourself out of bed that because you're that sick even from a head cold like it doesn't i mean i know people can have a lot of pain but but from a practical standpoint that's pretty much just as bad as as dying right yeah the uh man and you think that that could exist for like maybe a couple of years you know like some (laughs) deaths are really yeah i mean it could be there's something uh there's a podcast that i listened to probably five years ago have no idea who it was or what it was about but there's something that they said that is like will always stick with me he said he was um like traveling staying in a hotel like with his dad who was like older and he uh and he died in the middle of the night and he died like screaming. Ugh. He woke up to his dad just agonizing, you know, like really like screaming. And he, I mean, he described it, you know, and it's like we go, you know, he talked about like coming into this world, you know, screaming, you know, like traumatic birth. And then like we can go out, you know, just an mm. agonizing pain. You know, it's a crazy thing to think about. That's such a haunting thought, you know. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess um, I've always, I think about this sometimes when I when I first learned about death. I think I was five years old around there, like anyone. And uh, I remember, as, obviously, it bothered me like it does everyone when they find when you find out that you're not going to be here forever. So, like, I'm trying to psychologically come to terms with this, and and I asked my mom. I said, "Hey, uh, like, what does it feel like?" does it feel like to die and she said well a lot of people have a lot of pain when they die Mm. and i was like oh shit well thanks mom good night right for her for saying that though but um but yeah and that that was my point it's like i don't know that that uh, i've I've always known that 
like from as long as I've known that I was going to die, I know, I know it's going to be painful. Maybe that's why yeah. I think about it every, every time I'm sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it is an interesting thing that to, to, to contemplate, obviously that you could be like, this could, this could be it. And, and it, it really could be it. I mean, people die from, it's rare, but you, you die from, from common colds and people certainly die from the flu. So it's not, it's not even unrealistic to think that you could go to sleep and not wake up when you have a, a very bad cold. Um, but it's, I think, I think those are great op- opportunities to practice, you know, well, dying in a sense, really, which is what you could say philosophy is all about. And, yeah. and really, um, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like, if you can, if you can die well, you can live well, you know, yeah. because this is something else I think people think they think, well, I'm just like, someday I'm just going to die. So why the hell am I going to practice it? Like, I'm just, I'll deal with it when I have to deal with it, but they're not really understanding that. No, no, no. You only really live when you fully accept death and you know how to die because living well and dying well, I think they're the same thing. I really yeah. do. Yeah. I think there's been lots of people that have said that the, uh, um, in terms of watching stuff, I think it's called becoming nobody, but it's a, a documentary from a few years ago, um, with Ram Das, And he spent, many, many decades of his life, like working with people dying. I'm not sure how he, you know, found himself in, in that as, as like a full-time role. But he talks about like that suffering and like, maybe it's for, for some, and maybe it's a different journey for, for everybody, but to think like it could be, some of the like deepest suffering, like pain that we've ever experienced. Like we don't even know like a particularly maybe pain and suffering like that. But at the same time, it's like that opens us up to some sort of compassion and love, like for the world that we just don't know. We we just have never like experienced it. And he, he talks about um, of it being such an important thing for people to be able to like die well. And in the way that they want to, and somebody that's like wise that can actually, you know, help them and, and kind of walk them through. And he's um, sometimes a bit against, uh, you know, maybe being overly medicated yeah, sure. you know, painkillers and things like that, like against someone's, uh, not that it's against their will, but you know, that somebody is there to help them. And so somebody can, you know, walk through and experience that. He talks about it as like, you know, just such an important thing in our own development. Well, <clears throat> something I've thought about too is, is the, the acceptance of being in your weakest state. Mm. I think that's the part that I need to do some work on because I, I struggle with, I struggle with the idea of ever being weak. (laughs) That's why I call it the strong (laughs) stone podcast, right? (laughs) I, I, yeah, I have a lot of pride about that, but you know, cause I was thinking actually when I was sick, I was thinking about this too and thinking about dying. It's like, you know, people, 
if you ask someone how they want to die, they'll say in a room with my loved ones. But I thought about that and I thought, well, am I going to be okay lying there weak Mm. and just like everyone's watching me and I'm going to die any minute? Like, am am I, am I okay with that? Because that's a hard thing too. Like, how do you, it's like you, you meet some, um, you meet some older people that need taken care of. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we all have experiences like this, but you'll, you'll say, uh, you'll see some older relatives and they're just like cantankerous and they're cranky and they don't want to be helped. They don't want you to help them. They don't want to be washed, even though they need to be like, they need the help, maybe not completely, but they need like maybe 90% assistance on something. And then you see others that just do that. And they're like fully accepting of it. They're like, no, 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 this, this is where I am right now. You know, I, I read this case where the, the woman, I think it was Brené in Brené Brown's book, one of her books, but she said that her grandmother was like that, where she was embarrassed. Brené Brown was embarrassed to wash her grandmother in the tub, but her grandmother was like smiling the whole time. And it was, and, and it just gave her this kind of perspective, you know, accepting where you are, I guess. And, and really that's, I suppose, humility, right? It's yeah. like, I am dying. I'm gone in five minutes. Am I humble enough to accept that even now? Even, even, when, even when humility might not even matter anymore because I'm going to be gone in five minutes. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, man. That's, that's, some, that's some real deep wisdom there. Yeah. The... Um... That that could be yeah. I'd love to chat about that maybe next time. But even I, I wonder from uh, like acceptance in philosophical and spiritual traditions, like similar to that, is like letting go or like surrender. I mean, there's so many different yeah little words. As it does seem like that is like critical for the path. But it's probably a great spot to to wrap it up, man. Yeah, on death. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to depress people too much. Come yeah. back for more talk. <laughs> we we will not fail to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to talk about scary, terrible things. You do it enough, you get resistant to it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>